Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me. And you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, everyone. I'm Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. On Perpetual Chess, I have weekly conversations with the chess world's best players, promoters, and educators about their lives, careers, current projects, and best practices. Perpetual Chess is brought to you through the generosity of its Patreon and PayPal supporters. For more information, go to perpetualchesspod.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Perpetual Chess. We have a very strong chess player, nice guy, coming fresh off an exciting event. Uh, He is five-time Spanish champion, and I hear the best Spanish chess player of all time. Is this true, GM Paco Vallejo? Hello. Well, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say that uh, I'm the best player in history because we we have had some really good players like Arturo Pomar, or Miguel Iescas in Spain. Even, you know, Capablanca, I mean, he was Spanish for a few years, not when he was a world champion, but, uh, I mean, he was born Spanish, I think, at the time. So, I mean, it's hard to say, but, I mean, it's not something that I'm very worried about, honestly. Yeah, I I understand. It's kind of an awkward question, but you're in the conversation, let's put it like that, and at least the highest rated. So, har- obviously, hard to account for differences across time. Um but anytime you're mentioning you're you're mentioning Capablanca in an answer, it's a it's a good comparison. So, so no, well, I mean, it's in a different <laughs> different level. Capablanca, different era, right? yeah. You cannot I, compare it with me at all, of course. But uh. I hear you. Um, so, Paco, I'm catching you straight off a pretty cool chess event in Lyon, Spain. Uh, you just did this uh, this invitational um, four person exhibition rapid tournament where. Uh, Wesley So, of course, was the headliner, but also Pragananda and a young Spanish talent um, shoot, whose name I'm forgetting. So who did you play in the first round? Yeah, I played against this guy, Jaime Santos. He's a Spanish uh, player who is 22 right now, if I'm not confused. And he's around 25, 65 or something. Okay, apologies to Jaime Santos, by the, way, by the way, for forgetting your name. So anyway, yeah, tell us about the event. I mean, I was tracking it, but give us your perspective. Well, it's- it's uh, the thirty-first edition of the of this magistral, so it's really a traditional tournament in Spain. Probably the lo- the oldest tournament we have in Spain right now, and every everybody has been there. I mean, uh, Kasparov, Karpov, Vichy has won it many many times. Topalov, I mean, Kramnik, I think played there. I mean, so basically, everybody has played there. Carlsen, I think, as well. So, I mean, it's uh, it's an honor to, to play there, of course. And it was very interesting this year because, I mean, I was the second uh, seeded uh, after So Wesley. I had to play the other Spanish guy. It was a very tough match where I won only in the tiebreaks because we played 2-2 uh, in the rapid games and then I won in the blitz. Actually, I was... Uh, we had the... I mean, he won the first game. Then it was two draws where I was pressing maybe a little bit, but nothing special. And then I won the fourth game, but in a in a, a little bit in a funny way. I was very lucky because when I was actually winning, uh, 
after some hard game, I, was, I had some advantage and I was probably already winning. But then I calculated a very simple combination, which I thought is check, check, and mate. But basically that was giving away a rook, and it, this was a huge blunder, uh, and after that move I could resign immediately. But somehow he trusted me, and he, he had calculated the same, and he just resigned immediately. So that's how I qualified to play against So Wesley in the final. Yeah, and then, right. it, and then it was a completely different story in the final because I played great chess from the very beginning. Okay, well, let's I get was... to. I want to talk a little bit more about this blunder. So we'll. I, I definitely want to get to hearing about your perspective on playing Wesley So. But just for listeners who didn't catch this coverage, so this is a a king on on h8. Uh, I mean, sorry, a black a rook on h8 check and a king on h7. And it, you know, both of you guys had been thinking ahead and thought that the rook was protected, but the king. No, no, sh- no, no. no. It's uh, well, actually, well, I can tell you in the the whole position because it's not very that's not very complicated. Okay. I have a pawn. On, I have a pawn on e seven, a king on f six, and a bishop on e five. Rook, my rook is on uh, I think on d eight right now, and he has king h seven, bishop g six, pawn h six, the rook on e two, and and there is my move. So I want to promote e eight, but I don't want to do it right now because he can he then will take it on uh, with the bishop on g six. So the winning move is simply just king e six. And with a threat of rook h8 mate, and basically he cannot stop uh, rook h8. Uh, I mean, if he goes down to a bishop h5, rook h8, and then I will, I will promote e8, queen. So basically, but I thought it's even more beautiful to do it in the in the different way to play first king h8 check. Sorry, rook, rook, rook h8, h8 check. Yeah, yeah he will take king h8, and then I'll take king g6 check. He'll move king g8, and then I'll promote e8 check. The problem is uh, he doesn't need to move his king, but he can take his bishop, my bishop on e5. With the rook, right? Exactly. So basically, I'm lost after rook h8. Yeah, uh, just, just and, ama- yeah. <laughs> amazing. So, so have you ever encountered like a mutual blindness, blindness moment like that before in, in your career? Uh, probably, yes, but this was a bit too much, probably, because it was really, really obvious, let's say. So, right. I mean, something like that happened, but I think this was like, <laughs> I mean, one of the biggest, yeah, for sure. And and you mentioned, I think, in a post-game interview that, I mean, you had to go straight to the playoff from there, but did you even have time to realize that you had uh, over- overlooked this before he resigned, or did he resign so fast that you didn't even have a chance to panic? He, he resigned immediately. He resigned uh, in, a, in a second, you know, not, uh, not more than a second. So basically, we had both no time to realize. But obviously, when I went out of the playing uh, place, I was walking around, and at some point, I was like, oh, wait a second. What happened here? <laughs> right. And because uh, yeah, I saw the, the position in some screen or something, and I, I, was, I just was very confused at the beginning. Like, what is this? Is this the real position or... And yeah, then I realized I, I just blundered very badly. And he also realized uh, before the the start of the tiebreaks, probably this was not very good for him because, I mean, it's very unpleasant when you blundered so badly. Eh? Yeah, it's uh, got to be tough psychologically to, to focus anyway. on the game. Okay, well, sorry for cutting you off, but I just wanted for people who hadn't seen the report for them to get the full color of that this wasn't just any blunder. This was a, a sight to behold. But let's hear about playing Wesley So. Obviously, that's... um. Uh, an incredible opportunity, and you you really held your own. So, yeah, exactly. No, I mean, actually, it's true that it's uh, it's good to mention. I mean, the details of, of this little story, and then okay, I qualified for. I played a good blitz against Jaime Santos. I, I qualified for the final. Obviously, I mean, I think So Wesley is ranked uh, number two in the world of rapid, and uh, number seven in in. Uh, in classical games. Anyway, I mean, number two in Rapid is, is huge, and uh, obviously... And Rapid is not even my best... Uh, I mean, I, I would consider myself a better classical player than a Rapid player. I mean, in Blitz, I think I play a little better than in Rapid in general, but I mean... Well, anyway, I mean, we don't play so often Rapid games. That's the problem, anyway. So, okay, I, I started the, the match very well. I won the first game. And I played a good game. He he confused in the opening, and basically he lost without much chance. On the second game, I had a much better position again. But at some point, I just uh, ran into 30 seconds or something, and I, I blundered very badly. But even I had a very, very good position. The next two games, I was much better, both of them. I'm not sure if completely winning, but uh, very, very close. But he defended really well, and uh, I probably didn't press... Uh, as 
as hard as I could. I mean, uh, I could have done a bit better, but honestly, I played quite good games, and I was very close to win. So basically, it was 2-2 two, two in uh, rapid games. I played quite well. I had a good preparation. I calculated quite well, but somehow I only made a 2-2. And then the, the Blitz games, I, I was much better in the first game again. But I managed to get down to 10 seconds or something, and then at some point I just collapsed and I started to play really bad and I lost that game. And then I needed to, to win with black, and basically I had no chance. Hmm. I had no chance. I could have tried to make it. I mean, uh, yeah, so basically I lost the match in the Blitz, and the first game it was very important. So, But anyway, I mean, I was I mean, relatively happy considering that I lost the match. <laughs> Yeah, and you mentioned before the tournament you felt like you weren't in peak form going in. So is this a bit of a confidence boost for you? Well, exactly. I mean, I've been through a lot the last couple of years, really. I had uh, not the easiest uh, period of my life, let's say. So I was preparing, of course, for this tournament a little bit, but uh, you never know. Yeah? I mean, you're always a little bit afraid that something can go really wrong and uh, play really bad. But, uh, I mean, somehow, uh, yeah, I mean, it was... I mean, probably from the point of view of the of the games, it was better than I could expect, honestly. I mean, and from the result, I mean, it was... I mean, it's kind of the normal result that I qualify for the final and then I lose to Wesley So. It's kind of natural. But I was really, really close to, to lose the first match. Which uh, where I was a bit of big favorite, and I was really close to actually win against So when I was really underdog. So a bit strange, but in the in the end, I cannot complain a lot. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, anytime you're beating the the number two rapid player in the world, when you're going even in a two game match, I mean, you did lose the Blitz playoff, but still, that's a uh, that's uh, nothing to be ashamed of, that's for sure. But but you mentioned the the troubles that, that you've had the last couple of years. I don't know everything that's going on in your life, but obviously in the chess world, uh, one thing that really made headlines was this this insane story about uh, the Spanish government uh, clawing back or attempting to to collect money from you that you that you never won playing poker. So could you could you give our listeners just a quick recap of everything that's been going on with with that? Well, basically, I played poker in 2011, and I lost like a 5,000 or something. And then I stopped playing because I realized it makes no sense to, to play something where you're losing money. So basically, I stopped playing. And, well, the, the point is that actually the, the, the loss at that time in Spain were completely ridiculous. And let's say every hand you play, you need to pay taxes for so basically, what would happen if, let's say, we play each other in 2011, we have 100 euros each or 100 dollars each, and we could play the whole night. When we finish the, the game, we have still our 100 dollars. But for the government, we are both of us rich because we played tons of hands and we need to pay taxes. So let's say we need to pay each, each one 10,000 dollars each, for example. But we, we never had this money. I mean, we, we still have our $100. Huh? Right. No, this is absolutely insane. And uh, and actually, this law was changed in 2012 because it was absolutely ridiculous. But, well, they want to collect money as uh, very hard. And, uh, okay, they, it forced me to, forced me to, of course, to hire some lawyers, to spend a lot of time on this, to spend a lot of time in, uh, a lot of money in lawyers, to have really... I mean, I mean, it's something that even can get you to jail. I mean, it's it's really crazy. I mean, it, I mean, it's because it's big, very big amounts. It, I mean, yeah, it's like hundreds, put, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Exactly, right? exactly. It was more than half a million at the beginning. Yeah, it's so, just. I mean, it's just yeah, it just really unf- unfathomable. Yeah, and I know that when you when you made your Facebook post describing what had been going on after you uh, withdrew from that tournament, I know you you got a lot of support from the chess community, but. Uh, that only helps so much when, when yeah. you have the government I mean, breath, breathing down your neck and asking you for hundreds of thousands of dollars that you don't even have or didn't win, you know? Yeah, exactly. No, absolutely ridiculous. So actually, the funny thing is, like, the government is supposed to, to help me, to supposed to... Which actually they don't. They never did. I mean, they basically never supported me, not even, not even a bit, let's say. I mean, they paid me to play for the Spanish national team. Because I am playing for Spain, I was playing for Spain for the last fifteen years or something, 
but I mean, the, the support was really miserable, really. I mean, it was almost nothing. But I didn't complain too much because I thought, okay, I mean, we have a lot of troubles in Spain. We have a lot of problems in the country. I mean, uh, it's a little problem if they don't support a chess player. It's, it's not something very serious. I mean, you, we have people living on the streets. We have a lot of trouble with many things. I mean, we have bankra- the banks were bankrupt uh, a few years ago. I mean, a, a lot of things going on here. And it's, the situation is complicated. So I don't think it's fair if I complain too much that they don't support the chess player. And I can understand that. But this, this went way too much. I mean, this went too far. I mean, from, from this to actually trying to rape me, basically, this is too much. So basically, I rejected to play for the national team in the last one, and I, I will reject to play in the next Olympiad for Spain as well. I mean, I, and it's very possible I'll never play with Spain again. Uh, it's very, very possible. Yeah, so, and, and apart from that, I had another crazy stories. I don't know if you want to hear about. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, the more crazy <laughs> stories, the better. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So this poker story. I mean, it's money. It's only money, but still, it's really, it really destroys your life. I mean, it's really hard to deal with that because it's so unfair. I mean, uh, I mean, we all paid some penalties for, for I don't know. You drive uh, sixty, and it was allowed only fifty, so you pay, and okay, you forget about it because, let's say, it was kind of fair. But th- but this has nothing to do with, I mean, this was not even close to be fair. And another problem I had, it was really, really crazy that my, my mom had, uh, well, she was strict in the in the bank, basically. Not once, but twice. Uh, she was strict with my grandmom, who she was like 80-something. So they lost a lot of money, my grandmom and my mom. Basically, they, they were told that uh, they are not risking money. You know, grandmom never wants to risk any money. Right, but they 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 tricked her and they they made her sign some things that she doesn't understand. Blah blah blah. Okay, she lost some money. That's okay. Then my mom traveled with me to Dubai at some point, and also she thought she has an insurance, and the bank told her. But this insurance was was not really working, so basically she fell ill in Dubai, and the insurance wasn't covering anything. Well, I I don't want to tell you the the exact amounts, but you can imagine a private hospital in Dubai. It, the amounts uh, per day is just crazy. Right. If you ha- if you have to pay the the hospital, it's just a crazy amount. And uh, well, basically, she had no money to pay, and also I had no not a lot of money to help her because I was strict previously with this poker thing. So basically, we had no money to to bring her back to Spain, and the government did zero to to help. Actually, they did absolutely zero again. So the embassy did zero. And not only they did nothing, which is, uh, of course, very, very unpleasant, but uh, also when it was solved, they wanted to, they wanted to kind of say that, uh, oh, we helped to solve. Oh, that's and lovely. This was, this, yeah. yeah, this was, I mean, this was too humiliating for me. This was just too much. I mean, this was, I mean, and of course, when you are tricked yourself, uh, you are, I mean, you, you're pissed off, but it's not the same when they trick your mom and when your, your mom's life is in risk, I mean, it's, that's too much. I mean, if I would have met this guy at that time, it would be very hard not to punch him in the face because, I mean, when you when you see such things, such so dirty tricks. I mean, these these dirty things. I mean, it's very hard to to deal with that. So, I mean, if you start to add things uh, like poker, like this craziness in Dubai, or things like that, and also, I mean, for example, now in Spain, we you know, I mean, probably the news. I mean, you know that we are. We are rescuing a lot of people in the in the Mediterranean Sea that they try to jump into Europe. Yeah, right. So I mean, I mean, uh, that's interesting. I mean, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, they are illegal immigrants, and we bring them to Spain. And I, I cannot. I mean, I think we we need to help people in the world. We we need to be humanitarians. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of okay. But when you see that uh, your mom is a Spanish citizen, and we do nothing to bring her back to Spain. But we go and uh, bring some people who is trying to do the same that what my mom wanted to do, which is coming back to Spain. Yeah? Right. So, and they don't help her, and they help other people who is not even Spanish. Then you start to realize something's wrong here. Something is wrong. And, uh, well. Yeah, and then to try to take credit uh, when when it does get resolved, that's that's like a, yeah. a, a dagger in the heart. <laughs> that's got to yeah, be yeah, that's super frustrating. Disgusting. Yeah. yeah. 
So, Paco, I, I'm I'm really sorry to hear. I mean, I was I knew about some of this, but I'm really sorry. I mean, I can't imagine how stressful this must have been over the last few years. But one one uh, point of explanation just for for me and the listeners. So, you mentioned the government, but then in terms of uh, the chess support or lack of chess rep- support that you've you've received for for people outside of Spain, like how much of it would come from the government, or is there like a Spanish chess federation that could also support you, or are they kind of one and the same in Spain? Well, I mean, the Chess Federation, they did support me a little bit. I mean, I, I don't complain a lot about them because, you know, they they have a limited budget. They don't really have a lot of money. They try to pay me decent, which uh, they don't always manage, but at least they try. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I paid for Spain, it was not basically about money for me. It was just about, I mean, you, I mean from my point of view in, in life, you can do things... Uh, uh, because of money or because of harmony, let's say. Right. And this was not main 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 thing was not money to play for Spain. I mean, I'm Spanish. I was born in Spain. For me, it was kind of a honor. I would say I'm, I wouldn't say I'm a patriot, but uh, at least it was a honor to play for my country. It was a, a funny tournament, and I I, re- I really enjoyed that. Uh, obviously, when all these things happen, uh, all this has changed a lot. So now, if they want to, if they want me to, if they want me to play for Spain, uh, it's not only about money anymore, honestly. So yeah, I mean, uh, so long term, I totally understand where you're coming from in terms of not wanting to represent a country that has caused so much stress in your life. But you're you're such a strong chess player, so. Uh, do you have any long-term thoughts about, like, if you'll try to play in future Olympiads for, for different countries? Are you considering relocating, or are you just uh, going to be skipping that event? Well, I, I, obviously, I've considered relocating. Uh, I mean, no, nothing is... Nothing is uh, well, I haven't decided uh, something uh, for 100%, okay. but honestly, yeah, I mean, if some country would uh, offer me to play with them, I would think about it. I would think about it. I mean, on, obviously, I don't want to play for Spain, but uh, I'm not sure. I, I don't want to jump into something uh, right now because maybe I'm still a little bit... Uh, I mean, uh, we'll see. I mean, 1st of January next year, probably. I mean, this Olympiad, I'll most probably not play for any team. Mm-hmm. But in the future, I don't know. I can. I cannot really say. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I, I'm... I'm aware that uh, I could play for most of the teams in the world because I mean I would make the team in most of the, the of the countries even even in Russia I would have some chances. <laughs> right. So, so well, yeah, it's a, it's a possibility, of course. Okay. Well, we'll we'll stay tuned to that, and hopefully you uh, you're able to to find a, a happy outlet. But obviously, moving is. I mean, Spain, political and financial problems aside, it sure seems like a pleasant place to live on a, on a day-to-day basis and obviously your your roots are there your family and your friends so it's a yeah it's a perfect place to visit actually i would say right spain i mean we are the most touristic or the second most touristic uh, place in the world and uh, it's not uh, by luck it's it's one of the best places to visit in the world honestly uh, to live here it's a completely different story what's different once once, once you need to to deal with all this uh, bureaucracy with all this stupidity I have been through, the, all these kind of things, uh, this was not bad luck. I mean, bad luck is it, it, it's uh, if once you go on the street and they they kick you in the face. If, if this happens once, then it's right. bad. Luck. Yes, if it happens every day. Then it's not bad luck anymore. Yeah, yeah, it's true. S- sad but true. So this, yeah. So this bureaucracy and all the problems that Spain has as a country, uh, I wouldn't uh, recommend. Uh, as a hand, I mean, to live here is, I mean, it's, it has a lot of disadvantages as well, but, uh, to, to visit is amazing. It's, uh, we have a lot of history, amazing food. People is really friendly, really nice. And yeah, I mean, it's, and it, and it's a place I will always visit. I mean, whatever happens in my private life, uh, I love Spain in, in any way, you know, but I mean, the, the, the political situation is very stupid in general. And, the uh, bureaucracy we have and all these kind of stupid problems that's that's yeah that's not very pleasant yeah so paco we do a feature here on the podcast where people who support the podcast can send in questions uh to guests and we have a really good question here for you that um i will read to you so the question is from jerry wells who asks 
What brought you back to competitive chess after your retirement in 2012? Was it simply the life you knew or was it something about the community or the beauty of the game that drew you back in and what keeps you going now? Uh, yeah, that's a good question, actually. Yeah, I liked uh, it too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, actually, uh, when I, I mean, as a, uh, to explain a little bit how, how the kind of person I am when I was 18 years old and I was starting the university, I kind of decided that uh, I was a good chess player, one of the best in the world. And if I would go to the university, I'll be one more. One more of whatever I was going to study. And so I think I consider myself a relatively smart person, but only great in chess, let's say. So, I mean, if I have the talent to play chess, it would be stupid to completely stop it. Eh? But, of course, I mean, the life sometimes is not too easy. I mean, I had uh, not easy moments sometimes, or even the results. When I, I mean, when you are playing chess and you consider yourself to be a good chess player, I mean, you can lose games, but uh, what is hard to to handle is when you play really bad. When you play really bad, you, you feel really discouraged. For example, now when I play so Wesley and I lost this match, I mean, this can happen. You, you sometimes lose, you sometimes win. But if, if you play really disgusting, and this happens for a while, if, if this can happen for one year, let's say, it's too long, and then you get a little bit desperate. And that's what uh, actually made me stop playing chess for a while, or let's say not, uh, not playing a lot, or playing only the minimum possible. And actually, I, mean, I love chess a lot, yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, that's why I came back to play, because first of all, it's the thing that I do the best. And second, because I love the game too much, and it's, I mean, and it's a very decent job for me also. I mean, I mean, of course, in the future, probably I'll be doing uh, a lot more things related to chess than just playing. Playing chess is the most difficult by far. I mean, but training chess players or helping other people, giving some uh, lectures about chess, this is, of course, much easier for me because, uh, I mean, I've been working a lot and uh, most people who want to learn from from me or from other grandmasters, I mean, they are. I mean, the level they have is is very far from that. So they really enjoy and all the kind of experiences I had uh, because of being a chess player. I mean, I traveled over fifty countries in my life, and I had a very very interesting life. I think. So I think this experience is valuable for for many people. But playing chess in the competitive way, it can be very very tough. So it's, uh, I mean, I'm sure it happened. What happened to me, uh, it kind of happened to everyone at some point, I think. Yeah, even people who are not professionals will definitely be able to relate to that. And I can only imagine that being a professional and uh, playing both with more eyes on you than just most listeners, most casual chess players would have, and of course, more pressure. Um, because there's the financial aspect, but there's also just like you say, I mean, you're, you're sort of a craftsman and you want to take pride in your craft and feel, feel good about the way you play. And sometimes it just doesn't click. Um, so when yeah. you're in, when you're in a slump, do you just feel like you can't calculate or you overlook things or, uh, your opponents are just playing better? Like at this moment in 2012, when, when you became frustrated, understandably, and no, I mean, in general, I would play a very decent game then i would do something stupid and uh, chess punishes that a lot actually it's not like a tennis game let's say i would play Federer a million times and i'll lose a million times because uh, it's basically impossible to win a game as uh, against someone who is uh, much better than you but in chess uh if uh, magnus carlsen drops a piece against uh, let's say an international master or a fide master he will probably lose the game so I mean the, the 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 nature of the of the game is I mean it's it's very easy to lose games it's very easy to go wrong in one moment it's it's more similar to football actually to to soccer yeah right. I mean in soccer you can, you can play great but yeah, your goalkeeper makes a huge mistake and you lose one zero yeah although you dominated the game you played a great game whatever so if this constantly happens you're gonna get very very frustrated yeah so so I wasn't playing especially bad but the results were very bad. And of course, if you if this goes for some time, uh, this actually affects your game as well. Then you start to play bad, actually, and and also it happens in the opposite way. 
if you're playing bad but you keep winning games, uh, eventually you'll actually play good because I mean you you'll be improving and you'll be more confident, and this will help you. Uh, this will help you to play better in the end. But uh, yeah, I mean it can go on either way. Yeah, positive feedback loops and negative feedback loops. I think uh, we we've all been there as chess players, even if not at the gr- the grandmaster level. Um, so let's switch to to brighter topics of your your career highlights. So I know that you you beat Kramnik with Black at the Olympiad in in a great game. Um, you've played Kasparov. Our, our listeners always like to hear. I mean, you just played Wesley, so so our listeners always like to hear about uh, you know brushes with chess legends and playing extremely strong players. You're obviously one yourself, but when you think about your career, Paco, like what what do you uh, look most fondly at? Well, I mean, I've played with basically everyone. Everyone who is in the top right now. I've played with Carlsen when he was 15, and I was, I've played with Carlsen when he was already a world champion for some time. I've beaten him with uh, when he was 15, and I've beaten him luckily, but uh, but it was still a point when uh, when he was a world champion. Of course, in the meanwhile, he crushed me a few times, but I mean, it's not easy to beat Magnus Carlsen, for example. I I've, I won against some Caruana sometimes. I won against... I mean, most of the players out there, I have won some serious games uh, against Topalov, against Kramnik, against Shirov, against uh, most of them. Yeah? Is also, there... Obviously, I lost some <laughs> some games against all of them as well. But I mean, let's say there is a game. I mean, I think I get some respect when I play Magnus Carlsen or someone. I mean, they know I can. I'm kind of dangerous, but maybe my weakness is that I'm not uh, as uh, resilient. You know, this word that they use a lot nowadays. Resilient, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's the, maybe that's the thing. Yeah, and Magnus, of course, is famously resilient. Um, Although again, it's all relative. Like you don't, you know, you don't get to your level without being pretty resilient. It's just, I guess, if you're comparing yourself to the top yeah. ha- handful of players in the world, exactly. uh, it, it's a high hurdle. Uh, so, is there? You mentioned. I mean, these are all in, incredible achievements, and just to play play those guys shows that you're doing something right. But is there one? Is there one singular memory above the others that that you will cherish? Well, I mean. I mean, I enjoyed a lot, of course, playing Kasparov because I've played him quite uh, quite many times during the Linares tournaments, even in Moscow once. And it was very, very interesting. And uh, I, I didn't manage to win any game, to be honest. But still was kind of... Uh, <laughs> for example, I remember when my trainer was telling me, you don't have the balls to play Bishop G5 in the Nidorf against Kasparov. And well, obviously, after someone tells you that, <laughs> right, you got to do it. <laughs> you got to do it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it was actually a very funny game because uh, I mean, I wasn't a bishop g5 player essentially, but uh, okay, on that game, I was kind of forced to do it. So I I was swallowing all the theory that uh, was available to me at that time, and and during the game, I kind of remembered everything perfectly. And actually, Gary had some trouble to remember, but I think he—he he was. I mean, he was a bit lucky. Even he, even after the game, he told me that he was lucky that uh, he just, uh, as he was making these new books, this my great predecessors, right? And uh, he was writing about Fisher that at the time, and Fisher was a big specialist of the uh, on this uh, poisoned uh, pawn, yeah, on this queen b6, queen b2 line. So thanks to that, he kind of remembered some of the, uh, some of his analysis, and he managed to make a, some kind of not theoretical draw, but theoretical draw for him. So he had this analysis from uh, twenty years ago, but he haven't used it. So he was actually happy of using that analysis and making that draw. I mean, in general, Kasparov wanted only to beat you, so draw wasn't very good for him. But he was so happy to use the analysis that. He was uh, still quite okay with that. Yeah. And I said, did you guys um did you get to analyze with him after the playing? Well, after that game, we didn't analyze, but we commented a little bit. And basically, it was all theory. I mean, I I mean, all, it was all on my computer. It was all on his computer. Uh, and, but he he had a bit more trouble to remember it because he didn't expect Bishop G five. Right. Yeah, so you were caught him off guard a little bit. And who you mentioned your trainer sort of daring you. So who who was your trainer at the time or is your trainer if you don't mind saying? Well, 
I worked a lot with Ernesto Fernandez, his uh, grandmaster from Spain, and he, well, he helped me a lot during the years, and he's one of, uh, I mean, he's a very, very good uh, personal friend. So, I mean, apart from the chess, we still shared a lot of uh, good times. And so, I mean, he helped me a lot in Linares sometimes or during other other things. And he's a, I mean, he's a hard worker in chess. I mean, he, he knows a lot, and he's a good and end game player and I mean well I mean we shared a lot of chess and uh, I think I could help him a, a lot and he he was helping me at the time and he helped me uh, also during the Grand Prix for example that I played last year I played Grand Prix against uh, also the best players in the world and it was he was also still helping me so we have a we've been collaborating a lot yeah yeah a, long, a lot of time yeah and speaking of training or helping people i know that um you also have worked as a second for veselin topalov uh in the somewhat distant past so could you tell our listeners what that experience was like well it was amazing it was really really interesting for me i mean uh obviously when topalov or vichy or carlsen or some other players are looking for some uh help i mean they want to have the best possible they can i mean Obviously, if you are top, if you are Vichy, normally you cannot get Magnus to help you or things like this. I mean, because they are too close, you play against each other very often, so it's a little bit more complicated. But I'm a little bit uh, on the next level, let's say. I mean, I mean, if you count the top ten, top fifteen players, they play each other constantly. But I've been around number twenty to forty in the last fifteen years. So let's say I'm suitable to to, to be right. asked to collaborate with someone, and actually, yeah, Tobalov was. I mean, well, it was a very very interesting experience, of course, because okay, you are playing with one of the best players in the last thirty years, probably, and you learn a lot how how hard that job is and like how, how how difficult it is. But on the other hand, it was very interesting. Of course, I mean, I went to Russia to play uh, to help them against Kramnik in the moment, and they used a lot of my ideas also. And it was also, of course, helping my confidence that uh, he'll trust me so much. I mean, so, to some of the games, he'll just uh, come to visit me. I'll tell him, "Okay, do this, 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 this," and basically, he'll go to the game and just, <laughs> I mean, just play it. And uh, I was sometimes. Uh, a little bit uh, curious, not how. I mean, how, I mean, I had like a very big responsibility because I mean, if something goes wrong, it will be basically my fault. But uh, I mean, they they really trusted me a lot, and that that uh, made me feel, of course, very good. And uh, it was very interesting. But of course, it's uh, this kind of of job again with uh, some of the top players. It's very hard to to do it because you need a lot of hours every day a lot of computer and you get exhausted very easily so yeah. i mean it's it's of course i mean lately i'm a little bit uh, collaborating or helping other people but i try to do it in a lower level honestly hmm. not, yeah not the world championship i mean the idea of being tasked with preparing openings to play against vladimir kramnik i mean with with his legendary opening knowledge it doesn't get any more daunting than that i would imagine yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's very tough and it's very challenging, but it's not something you want to do, you want to do forever. Let's say. I mean, it's it's very interesting, but yeah. I mean, right now, uh, I try to help people who is motivated or young players sometimes, and it's it's very interesting for me as well. So it's I mean, and I'm still an active player. So I mean, it's hard to combine everything, but in general. Uh, I've done that, and I think that's enough. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm not really, I'm not really offering myself to to help uh, Caruana or Carlson. I mean, even if I would have the possibility, probably I wouldn't take it. Wow, it's just, okay, just too tough. Yeah, it's just yeah. too tough. And I'm, I'm, a, I have a good life in general. I mean, I even I had few trouble in the last couple of years, but uh, I try to put myself under a limited uh, amount of stress let's say and if for example i remember going to china with to with topalov to the tournament in china super strong tournament as well against uh, everybody was rated over 2700 and i remember that i was not sleeping basically i was working all the night when he will wake up 
uh, I will tell him all what I analyzed. I will tell him, do this, do this, play this line. If he does this, you can do that. And uh, then he wanted to go, for example, for for uh, for breakfast with me, and I was like kind of dying already. No, I, mean, I was I was going with him to breakfast, and after the breakfast, I was like, okay, you know what? I mean, good luck in the game. <laughs> I'll be sleeping. <laughs> and, yeah. I mean, it's 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 difficult to handle. Yeah, it's not easy. Yeah, that's one funny aspect of being a second. Is I mean, you're you're kind of at their beck and call. Like you you know you from what I've heard, we've had other guests who who've done some seconding here on the the podcast, and so it's not just all of the intense opening preparation and the stress of living and dying with the results, but it's also like you want if they want to go for a walk, you go for a walk. If they want to play soccer, you play <laughs> soccer. You know, yeah. if they want you to sleep, you you know. You sleep yeah, if they yeah. want you to be awake all night, you're awake all night. So I can imagine how like one of the perks generally of being a chess pro, I would think, is the the freedom you have. But when when you're when you're not the top dog in the the operation, then some of that freedom goes away. Exactly, exactly. We are we are not so used to that, let's say. We are not so used. On the other hand, you don't play. And as I mentioned, playing is the most difficult. Right. Yeah, even more but- stressful. Yeah, playing is, is the toughest. Playing is the most difficult because, I mean, it's very easy to be, for example, commenting. Eh? I've been commenting in the, some websites or something, and it's very relaxed. And most of the moves, I mean, let's say you, I, I'm watching a, a game of Magnus against uh, Fabiano. Well, okay, if, I, if you allow me to comment on three, four moves, I mean, I'm going to guess 99% of the, of the time because, I mean... They can play only one move, and I can say, okay, this is interesting, this is interesting. I mentioned four moves each time, and most of the times I will be, I will be right, because, okay, well, it was interesting, and probably it was one of the best moves. So, And they have to play only one move, yeah? So it's much tougher to actually play one move than to mention four, yeah? Right. <laughs> um, so you mentioned that you've been between roughly 20 and... 40 in the world and the stress of playing so what's going on i mean i know you said you have some events coming up but what's going on with your chest generally do you feel like you're ready to to make another push or are you trying to just hold hold your level uh do you have any goals like uh what's the state of your your game right now well honestly i i consider myself a a very good player but uh as a someone who haven't solved his chess problems and my my problems are that my time management is not very good i mean i go into time travel uh too often and that uh, lacks uh, my results yeah that my, that creates a lot of trouble in my results and uh, without that problem i think i would be a much better player i'm a much more uh my results will be much better but well uh as far as i'm not solving that I'm a decent player, yeah. But uh, well, I mean, I'm still, I mean, still not giving up. I mean, I would like to play a little faster, and to not to get in, down to three minutes and ten moves to go, and th- or things like that. So well, I mean, I'm still not giving up. Of course, I mean, if you if you're an active player, you you always inside of you, you you still want to improve. You still want to to do something better. But uh, it's not easy. Yeah, it's not easy. I mean. I mean, people, when I, I receive tons of requests uh, for training people, for helping people, and people ask me, uh, ah, yes, I want to do this or train for a couple of hours each week. And I say, well, I was training for three hours per day for, with a grandmaster during seven years. I mean, and it helped me to improve, but it was not easy, even with that. So when people want to improve uh, in chess, spending one hour per day or half an hour per day, well, I would say it's often it's not enough. I mean, you need to put a lot of effort, a lot of energy, and very often a lot of money too. Yeah, and that's something that our, our listeners are always interested in is how to improve with limited time. And I agree that, that it can be challenging. So I, I know that... Um, this uh you probably get asked this a lot but but what what do you do you have resources that you recommend for people besides just um like working with a stronger player do you have books that that you recommend to people or videos or uh, well, most people who most people who wanted to or managed to work with me uh i mean they cannot work with me every day three four hours because this is very hard to 
to find the time, to find the resources to do. So if you want to work with some strong player, it's very useful. But you need to be aware that uh, most of the work you need to do on your own. So let's say, uh, let's say some player wants to train with me a couple of hours per week. That's fine. That, that of course, will help him. And I will help him a lot to choose the material he needs to study, uh, which opening is good, which uh, line is bad, uh, what are, how are you calculating, I'm going to help you to improve the way you calculate, to, how, to focus on the weakest points of your game. I mean, lots of things I can help, but uh, you need to be aware, I mean, a couple of hours uh, might be not enough. And I mean, I, I remember I made a tweet a few months ago, and I... I wrote something like uh, for a 2,000 player or 1,900 player who wants to improve. I mean, they they had to manage the time like that. And actually, I'm I'm lucky because I think I have this percentages uh, around. And I wrote something like uh, of your 100 percent of the of your time, you need to manage it something like that, like 20 percent of uh, magistral games, like Grandmaster games, you, you, you analyze, let's say, this, those kind of games with, with some help or even on your own. Then let's say at 20%, you analyze your own games. That's very important. Yeah? Always people... Uh, we all uh, don't give enough importance to that sometimes, but it's very, very important. Yeah? I mean, to analyze your own games and to see exactly where are you making mistakes because it, it happens very often that uh, you, we do the same mistakes again and again and again. Eh? Then yeah. let's say 20% of uh, simple tactics, for example. Uh, then let's say a little bit like a 10% of uh, more complex tactics. But don't overdo this complex tactics because uh, it will also... I mean, I can, I can tell you something happened to me. Uh, I met Agart at some point. I was like, well, after I made your a few exercises on your book, I couldn't play chess anymore because it was so complicated wow. <laughs> that I felt, uh, that I felt like, like an idiot already, you know, because, I mean, so be careful to, to overdo these complex tactics, no? I mean, it's better to do a little bit of that only, you know? so... Yeah. That's, it. That's interesting. That is, that is not, that is not advice that has been echoed by all of our guests. Some, some of them, um, have been really hardcore in terms of how much they think you should do uh, tactics and particularly challenging ones. Um, uh, yeah, from my, from my point of view, it has to be the challenging ones. It has to be a small percentage. Okay, so we're up to seventy percent, twenty percent GM yeah. games, twenty percent your own games, twenty percent simple tactics, ten percent complex tactics. What else, Paco? Uh, then I would say something like a ten percent of uh, openings. Okay. And mem- memorizing openings, something very, like that. Very small percentage. Listeners, take note. <laughs> very small percentage, exactly. Yeah. And I'm speaking not about me or Magnus Carlsen or a Grandmaster. I'm speaking about 2,000 player, which is the probably the average listener to your program, maybe. I don't know. but uh, Yeah, I think it's about 1,800. So you're, you're in the ballpark. Uh, okay. Yeah, exactly. Uh, something like that. I mean, if Fabiano is, is listening to, the, uh, to this, then... <laughs> I don't recommend him to, to do it like this, but uh, yeah, for eighteen hundred, that's that's quite correct, exactly. And then Fabiano, yeah. if you're listening, call me back. You got to come on the show. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so twenty more percent. What else? Uh, and uh, yeah, the, the rest I would say like something like a ten percent of uh, end games. Uh, well, there are some end games you need to know. There are some end games you need to know. Of course, the the. Well, the, the, the number of uh, endgames you need to know, it changes over the time and over the level. I mean, the, the number of endgames I need to know uh, is higher than if you are a 2,000 player. But the, even if you are 2,000 players, there is some endgames you need to know as well. Uh, and by memory, some of them. I mean, at least to understand them very well. Eh? Yeah. And well, then the other 10% would be others. Like, uh, I don't know, a little bit of your psychology, right. your physical your physical strength, I mean, to do some sports, to do some real planning. Uh, like, you need to play chess. I mean, some people want to train, and they never play chess. So, I mean, you, you need to, you, if you want to improve as, as a chess player, you need to go to tournaments and, and lose some games. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very true. I, I think a lot, of, a lot of people can relate to that, because you talked about the stress of the competition. So, it's natural to have sort of ambivalence about uh, getting in the ring, but if your goal is to get better, you you can't. Well, get... I, I know a lot of international masters who know more chess than me. To be honest, 
Mm-hmm. They know a lot of chess. They they studied uh, chess non-stop in in their lives. But the problem is when they go to play, it's a different story. Yeah. So if you if you want to improve uh, as a chess player, you need to go and and play. That's it's very important. So it's very important you plan your time in, in you you plan your tournaments in advance and you and actually other things that I could mention is to learn languages. For example, I mean you are you are luckier because you're American, so English is basically spoken almost everywhere. But if you are Spanish, for example, I mean, you need to learn English. It's it's a must. I mean, from the top 100 players in the world, uh, I'm not sure, but probably all of them speak English. Yeah. Apart from the native language, yeah, of course. And and Paco, what about your own chess? So if you're if you're hitting the books, if you're in a phase where you're really trying to push and get better, how do you allocate your own time? Well, in my, I mean, the stronger you get let's say the i mean you get near i mean i'm 27 something feeder rating so my my percentages are, are a little different uh i mean of course you need to to go i mean for example i need to study much more openings than than what i said i said i mentioned only 10 percent. for me it would be at least 70 percent for someone like me, like a, I mean, a strong grandmaster, it should, it should be because the openings uh, are already so deep for us that studying openings uh, for us means uh, also studying a little bit of uh, middle games and end games as well. That's a good point. So I mean, uh, we study openings, but sometimes we reach some end games, and we still continue to, to study the, those end games. So I mean, openings are very, very deep, very complex, and that takes. Uh, even seventy percent, I would say. The others uh, could be okay. These tactics are very important for us. I mean, to be always uh, aware of these cheapos. This is, I mean, this gives you lots of points. And uh, when you miss tactics, I mean, you cannot play chess. Definitely, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's very very important. It's the most important. And other things, I mean, you can still well improve a lot. Yeah, but I mean, basically, the stronger you get, the more openings you need to check. Yeah. And earlier you mentioned the t- the time trouble issue. So I guess that for you also might be a point of emphasis if you just said, all right, I'm going to I'm going to devote all my resources to trying to figure out how the hell to stop thinking. So, you know, how to manage my time better. Um, well, that is a matter of confidence, first of all, I would say, uh-huh. because sometimes I've been playing fast and good. And it was a matter of confidence. It, it's a matter of uh, having few good results. It will also help you a lot. And uh, also of uh, being aware that we are not perfect players. We are humans and we make mistakes. And uh, sometimes, in some positions, you need to be aware that uh, you will not solve it. You're, you're a chess player and you will not solve it. You, will, you don't have the skills to solve it. Even though sometimes I was thinking, let's say, in a, in a position for 20 minutes during the game, and I was not sure what to do. There is three moves, and uh, all of them seem pretty interesting. Then I go back to the room. I put this uh, position to to Stockfish. He has three thousand five hundred, let's say, and even he's not sure what to do. Right. So he's still doubting, like I'm, like I was doing during the game. So if he's not able to do it, uh, how I'm supposed to to do it? Yeah? I mean, it's it's basically impossible for a twenty seven hundred player. To, to to understand some positions it's just too too difficult for us so you need to be a bit more practical if if you reach such position where probably you will not understand it even if they give me one day to think about it it's, it's not a matter of time it's just a matter of skill I, i'm not good enough to to understand that position let's say so you need to be aware of that you need to be to understand that and you need to be very practical you need to spend three four five minutes to take such such decision but not 25 or 20 minutes yeah? Yeah, yeah, it's uh one of the classic easier said than done, but yeah, being being yeah. okay with uncertainty is the the elusive key. Um I agree. Something yeah, it's just so hard to actually pull the trigger during a game sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's not easy. Not easy. So Paco, I just have a couple more topics if you don't mind. Sure. Okay, so I asked your buddy, our mutual friend Jan Gustafsson for for any information on on you, I know you guys are good friends, and this is this is what he told me. He said you're a foodie, a big sports fan, and a ladies' man. All, <laughs> all, all true. Do, do I have well? 
let's start. A foodie, it means, uh, yeah, I would say it's true. I mean, uh, I, I mean, I don't smoke. I, I don't have a, I don't have a car even. I mean, if I spend my money on something, it's probably food. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't mind spending whatever amount of money if it's something I like. Yeah. So what was next? A uh, uh, big sports fan. Yeah, well, I mean, I prefer to play if possible. I can watch some sports, but uh, I would like to... I, I prefer to play if possible. But uh, I get hearted very... Or injured very easily. So, so that's what, a little bit of a problem. So yeah. what, do you, what's, what do you like to play? Which sports? Basically anything. Table tennis or paddle or tennis or football or basketball. Basically, I can play anything. But it's true that uh, if I play a little bit uh, often, uh, I mean, I get injured, and uh, yeah, it's it's a little bit unpleasant. Yeah, yeah, and that that only gets worse. I think you're uh, a bit I'm, I'm, a bit younger I'm, yeah. than me, but yeah, I'm ninety something kilos, and I'm one ninety two. So I mean, you need to be in good shape to do sport if if you are that big. I think, and uh, as, as I'm traveling so much with chess. It's very hard to to be in good shape, actually. But uh, well, I'm yeah. I mean, right now, for example, my knee is hurting me a little bit, for example, and it's it's kind of difficult to to do some some sports with that. Yeah. Uh, yeah so that that's probably and about women. Well, what can I say? <laughs> <laughs> so what do you? Uh, so if you meet a woman uh, and you like, you tell her you're a grandmaster, you're number one in Spain. How how generally do they react? <laughs> uh well it depends where you are actually <laughs> that's the thing if you if you if a woman knows you're a grand chess grandmaster and you are a good chess player or whatever if you are in uh, let's say russia uh, most women will be very impressed most women will will will, will like you will will feel that this is this is great this is something it's admirable yeah this this you are very that you're a very smart person and uh, that's really good if you are in Spain, uh, well, I wouldn't say it's hard, it hurts you, but uh, I wouldn't say it, it helps a lot, actually. Huh, that's pro- interesting. It probably doesn't help a lot. I, I don't know about America, about the USA. Yeah, but- I would say it doesn't help a lot. <laughs> yeah. Very, well, very materialistic over here, so. Well, I guess it's it's everywhere. But I, I would say, yeah, in, for example, in Russia, I mean, the... They they are much more sensitive for for culture in general, for music, for chess, for things like that. They are very sensitive about that. So, do you have any advice for for chess players for meeting or courting women? Uh, well, go to Russia. Yeah, go to Russia. That's excellent <laughs> no, I mean, advice. Yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, I mean, uh, as we as I heard once that it was very funny for me. Uh, if you are a poker player and uh, you are number ten in the world. But you keep playing in a table with the nine best players, and the, <laughs> right. the other nine best players in the world. You're going to lose money, right? Amen. So here, if you want to be a bit more successful, go wherever your your skills or your profession will be a bit more valued. Eh? So if, yeah. if you're a chess player, if, if you're a chess player, I mean, there are many countries in the world where being a chess player is something good. Yeah, there are many others where it's not really something. Yeah, have, having been to fifty countries, I guess you're you're well qualified, uniquely qualified to speak about this topic. Uh, yeah, so, something like that. Let, so, let's say, I mean, I'm 35 already, so I'm kind of uh, a little bit. Uh, let's say I'm out of the game. <laughs> to be honest, I'm not. I'm not, re- I'm not really the same as I used to be. But still, I mean, uh, I mean, I can speak about the topic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah, the memories aren't that old. Yeah. Um, and what about generally, like for chess travels, do you have a, a favorite place, uh, um, whether it was just favorite place to visit or favorite tournament in terms of uh, conditions and scenery and stuff like that? Well, I mean, tournaments, uh, when I played in South America, when I played in Italy, I mean, people are very, always very nice to me, to be honest. And uh Everywhere, I mean, when I when I'm playing, I'm I'm valued a lot. I mean, I'm I'm I cannot complain about that at all. I mean, in general, wherever I go, I feel I feel good. And probably if I don't feel good, I don't come again. I mean, I have the I can choose, so it's not a big it's not a big thing for me. And about countries to visit or go and play chess, well, I 
I mean, for example, a country uh, I loved a lot uh, visiting, it's uh, Iceland. It's very beautiful there. It's very, very interesting. And another place I like and it's very relaxing and it's very, very interesting is Thailand. Okay, you and, and they, you and Jan both. Yeah, exactly. And they have a, a very nice tournament there, which I try to play from time to time. But it, I mean, the atmosphere in Thailand is just very relaxing. I mean, it's like uh, you're in the holidays always. So when I was there like for a month once, I didn't want to come back actually to to the to the real world. Let's say I mean it was it was so good just to enjoy life, to to have uh, some coconut water, and to just uh, have some massage from time to time. And who who wants to come back from that? Yeah? Sounds like the uh, Thai Olympiad team needs to reach out to you. Yeah, for example, for example, <laughs> I'm sure you would uh, you would up their average elo for sure. Yeah, I don't think they have a very, very strong team, actually. So I, I think I could help them. Yeah. Nice. And uh, so what's your schedule like in the coming months? What do you have coming up? Uh, I played the Spanish uh, team competition with a, with a club of Valencia, yeah, with a, a city in Spain. So it's a, that's a club competition. I, do, I will not play the Olympiad, as I said. Uh, and then... I might play some leagues sometimes, like, uh, okay, German league in the coming months, it will restart again. Or, this, I mean, the Spanish league I mentioned already, maybe the Chinese league. And, uh, well, I mean, I play leagues sometimes. And, well, we'll see, because, you know, chess players, we are ready to jump <laughs> to jump into into whatever comes sometimes. I mean, we, yeah. I mean, we don't have such a closed schedule very often. I mean, I remember a very, very funny anecdote uh, that Kasinjanov uh, told us once it was that uh, basically he, he was at home and he had some tooth pain or something I think no yes I think it was something like that and he received a call that he could go and start the Grand Prix like tomorrow or something <laughs> so basically he had to decide either he goes to the doctor uh, to check this, this pain he had or he he goes to the Grand Prix, but Grand Prix is such a good opportunity for for a strong chess player. So he decided, okay, whatever, let's go to the Grand Prix. So when he arrived there, he was almost dying already. <laughs> By the time he arrived at the Grand Prix, as he didn't check this pain, he he had to do, go to the doctor immediately and uh, to be hospitalized immediately. So, Ouch. so I mean, uh, I mean, chess players, we we fight for, we are ready to fight for our lives, and we are ready to. To well, to I mean, to whatever comes, we I mean, they tell me there is a tournament in two days in somewhere in China, and it's it's good conditions, good players, and it will be good to to play there. And I will jump into the plane and go. Yeah? So nice. You, that you, you, you never you never know. Sounds like a good life to me. <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Okay. And last but not least, Frankie, uh, I'm looking at your Skype. It says Frankie, but you you per, uh, does anyone actually call you that? <laughs> yeah. Well, I have a. Facebook account Frank Vallejo also, so it's like my alter ego. Eh? Okay. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, I'll go back to calling you Paco. So, Paco, you, yeah. you just launched a Twitch channel. Do you have like a grand vision for that, or is it just something like for, for shits and giggles, or what? Well, I did it for a while. I actually, I have to say, I enjoyed it, lo- it, lo- it, it a lot. Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. But, uh, well, then I had a few things to do, and I was also, uh, I was also negotiating. Uh, something to do it with uh, probably with chess.com something so it, it i think it will start soon with them to i will collaborate with them a little bit but well we haven't started it might come in any moment yeah, also okay so but okay we will wait for a little bit but i like this uh, kind of uh it's very the freedom of just speaking and uh without a clear topic yeah? just playing some blitz and speaking to your friends and uh and I think I was not so bad on doing that. So we'll see. I think it's interesting in the long term. But also I was a bit disappointed with Twitch in general because uh, I applied for this partner uh, for Twitch, but they, they answered. They are super slow in answering for that. And at some point I stopped uh, broadcasting, uh, streaming, sorry. 
And uh, then they, when they answered, they said, "But you are not streaming anymore." And I was like, "But come on, you didn't answer for a month." I mean, right. Yeah. And, and now, and now it's my fault. Yeah? So right. It's like, it was just absolutely ridiculous from my <laughs> point of view. They sound like the Spanish government. Yeah, exactly. This kind of <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I was a bit surprised because I thought uh, Twitch is very serious, but it was a bit disappointing. But okay, let's say in the fu- let's see in the future what happens. Yeah. Cool. Well, I do think you're good at it, so hopefully you you find the time and uh, they answer your emails eventually. Um, and and in the meantime, if our listeners want to keep track so that they can tune in once you, once you make this happen, what's, what's the best way to reach you or follow your activities? Well, I have a website, gmvallejo.com and, uh, I do have a Twitch, uh, Twitter also, I think it's Chessy Darta and in general you, well, I think on my website is probably the easiest way to reach me. And unlike most grandmasters, you actually update your website. Not really. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I don't really update it a lot. But I have also accounts on uh, Lee Chess or Chess Twenty Four dot com or Chess dot com. I mean, I have accounts everywhere. So basically, uh, I receive a lot of people, uh, a lot of messages from lots of people just asking me for whatever. Okay. How do I how do I improve in chess? This is a question I receive every day. Yeah, how do I improve in chess without doing any work? Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. All right, well, Paco, this was a lot of fun. Thanks for taking the time. I know you've had a lot going on, so uh, I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks to you, Ben. Yeah, that, that was, yeah, good to speak to you. Hope to speak uh, in the future, too. Yeah? Okay, sounds good. Good. Uh, good luck with everything. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Oh. Special shout-out to Geert Vanderveld for supplying the Perpetual Chess intro music. I also want to thank everyone who supports the podcast. That includes people who tell their friends about the show, people who write a positive review on their podcast platform like Apple Podcasts, but most of all to those who've donated to support the show. I spend a lot of time doing it, probably about five hours a week, and even though I love the work, it can be hard to find the time. So I want to give special thanks to my Patreon and PayPal partners. And this list is getting a little bit long, but that is a great thing. That's what keeps the show going. So special thanks to Adam Ralph, Adam Vrancouge, Adrian Gutierrez, Andre Krizdois, Alex Pejas, Brian Mullis, Carl Labans, Chris Wainscott, Chad Hilton, Christopher Wood, Coach Jay's Chess Academy, Chris Flanagan, Dan O'Hanlon, Daniel Ginsberg, Daniel Naylor, Daniel Schaefer, International Master Elect Donnie Ariel, Frank Tortoris, Gary Andrews, Greg Shahadi, Harish Srinivasan, I hope I said that right, Harish, James Banastia, Jennifer Valens, Jeffrey Martello, John Fernandez, John Jernigan, Jen Shahadi, Jens Green, Jerry Wells, John Thompson, Johnny McMenamin, Katerina Nemkova, Kelly Palmer, Krishna Gopalakrishnan, Laura Belyavsky, Lorraine Dore, Matthew Passi, Macaulay Peterson, Matthew Tedesco, Nathan Webster, Pascal Charbonneau, Paul Sweeney, Peter Lux, Peter Merrifield, Randy Temple, Ricky Grijalva, Rob Lazorchek, Robert Steiner, Tatya Babrahamian, Thomas Stonix, Thomas Chachenko, Tim Seymour, Timothy Ha, Todd Bryant, Tony Rotella, Victor Vrancul, Zhao Cheng, and Jivko Stoyanov. Thanks, everyone. I'll catch you all next week. Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.